Polish-Australian Business Forum presents Unity Stories about us Twenty twenty two marks fifty years of diplomatic relations between Poland and Australia. I am Leonie Tillman, and I'll be interviewing ten notable Australians of Polish heritage across business, science, and the arts about their stories. We now invite you to celebrate our unity. Stories about us. Tadfor Troba has had mining in his blood since he was a child. He has 50 years experience across open cut and underground mining and is now executive director at Hancock Prospecting under Gina Reinhardt. It is one of the most successful private companies in Australia's history. It goes goes down to with the fact that I was in the company in 91 and uh, when her father passed on in 92 she came took it over to over the company and she subconsciously thinks I'm the, the older guy. Well, I am older than her. <laughs> so we always had sort of boss and friend sort of relationship. And um, I, I think she, she does trust and appreciate what I've been doing for the last 30 years. And, and I read that she has renamed the Alpha Coal project as Tad's Corner. Yeah, it was quite a funny situation. Somebody rang me up from Queensland that there was another company dropping tenements. That was back in 93. So I went to my department and paid for the tenements, well, the, the fees with my credit card and paid for the old maps and you know, it was about 20 grand or something. So I rang the bank extenders <laughs> credit. And I came back, so she probably sort of never forgot. And I was involved with that, that those projects um, for quite a few years. When you say you're involved with the project, I mean it's it's not it's probably something that's so familiar to you. But can you take us on that journey, maybe from you putting money down to get the documents, and what happens after that? And we did what we did. We actually dug up a first. I think it was like. 50,000 tons of coal uh, from uh, the deposit. And uh, it was the first uh, coal from the Galilei Basin, which is a separate basin to the other coal basins in in, uh, in Queensland. So we sent the trial ship to to Korea, I think, to power station in Korea. So we had a big ceremony, opening ceremony on site. And so and then she announced that, she announced that we renamed Alpha Coal to for Tad's Corner. <laughs> yeah, nice. So it's sort of a combination of your own business development to managing the project to coordinating all of the elements of it. It's very, very vast, in fact. At that, that time, we had a team like in, in Brisbane office. They're doing a lot of work. And in the West, we were consuming by working on the R&O projects. Uh, so in Queensland, we just c- couldn't do both of them ourselves. So we were looking for partners. We negotiated with some Japanese and Chinese. And uh, eventually we sold for about almost 80%, 79% to an Indian company. So they've been running with this uh, for, for probably at least 15 years. I mean, it's very a lot of misunderstanding 
about the uh, global warming and, and the, the coal issues. That coal was thermal coal going to um, power station. It's fair enough. But there's other coal deposits which are metallurgical coal. Without them, you can't make any steel. And everybody in the world is happily using steel, and you can't make steel and the current sort of uh, technology without cooking coal. But it's sort of really talk for, for a lot of people, coal is coal, just only one. And then mm. we're all dying from... <laughs> but everybody yeah. is quite happy use energy and cheap energy and and everything else but yeah no it's it's definitely relevant i think it's an incredibly complex situation mm. do you think that the greener forms of energy production could not keep up with the demand at the moment on the east coast well there's a number of issues with the so-called renewable okay we, everybody goes out we've got the sun we've got the wind comes for nothing but you think about the technology, yeah, they require a lot of energy to build them and they don't last as long. So you may say renewable source, but not, not renewable energy. I mean, the balance mm. is not there. Yeah. So it's not that clear picture, but it's very easy to uh, talk about it and make big sort of scare the kids. But if you scratch the surface, this picture is totally a bit different. But I am frustrated. So with such broad experience across the mining industry and a fascination for energy and resources in Australia and beyond, I ask him where it all began. Yeah, since I was, uh, I think, in primary school and high school, I loved to um, read books about underground coal miners. Like Morcinek was an author and uh, was this little horse who got blind underground, and there's beautiful sort of soft stories. And obviously on every uh, 4th of December, the St. Barbara's Day, the processions of the, the miners, the, the brass bands, and I wanted to be a miner. I finished high school and I was only 17, and my father said, no, you're not moving, because to go to study, you have to go to Krakow, to the Mining Metallurgy Academy. He said, no, you're 17, you stay home. So I went to <laughs> I went to uh, to do exa- uh, entry exams to um, I pick up this hardest um, faculty in Poznan where I lived and obviously I didn't pass I didn't want to pass it anyway <laughs> so my father learned about it so he knew I was cheating but anyway I just <laughs> <clears throat> simply I ran away from home and and went to Krakow next year for past exams and. Uh, and my father sent his mate to convince me to come home for Christmas, and I did. <laughs> it was all forgotten. <laughs> nice, yeah. It's, everything was forgiven in the end. But I never regretted it. I just loved that it's um, all tradition, reminding the hard work. And... and so later on, as things progressed and your life went on in Poland with your career in mining, you eventually left, obviously. So could you take us through that? Those days was quite you know, relatively easy. You, you had good marks at uni. You you could get a um, sponsorship or stipendium from the companies. I got one. Actually, both of us, my wife and I, got uh, this financial support from the one particular mine, which I uh, not far far away from Auschwitz, the camp. 
and we worked there for. Uh, she finished uni year after me, uh, so I worked there for seven seven years. The underground mine. Margaret's friend, she was also an engineer. Worked, they worked together. She went to um, Vienna for for holidays. She came back and said, "Oh, the Australia takes people to uh, things." So we we bought tickets to to Vienna. Those days, uh, in 1980, you didn't have to have a visa to Austria from Poland. We had passports. Uh, we got our old passports. We used two years before went to holidays to, to Algeria. But, but those that you had to, who came back from overseas, you had to give it back to the police stations. You couldn't keep your own passport. So it took about two months to convince the guys in, in the police in the police station to, to give you the passports back and allow you to leave to the so-called West with children. There are two kids there. Eventually, after a couple of months, we, we got them and we left, went to Vienna. Was this a migrant system? Or was, you know, more, those days it was like refugee things because it was, you know, the Eastern, Western. So we could go. And we went to a beautiful little place in Lower Alps and uh, spent there a month, just not more than a month, and had an interview with the Australian embassy. and. And the rest is history. Malcolm Fraser bought us tickets. <laughs> he was the pre, uh, prime minister yeah. then. And we flew to Sydney, stayed in uh, Villawood, uh, which was very nice uh, accommodation food. They look as, after us very well. What was it like when you arrived? Uh, it was well, well organized. We had English classes because we couldn't speak English. English classes, but also it was very important. They brought people from our communities, the Polish community or anybody else. Uh, they, people taught us how to open a bank account, how to buy a car, how to rent the flat. So we really, after, um, well, let me think, we got there in August and we left, I think, in January, maybe February. But we were fully aware of what was happening. And our friends, we had friends, my old friend from uni, he lived in Sydney. And actually they said, how do you know the things? And they, they even, you know, they were there for five or seven years. And just, mm. but anyway, that was, that was good. And um, we got our jobs, we were still in a hostel. Across the fence from hostel was the Westinghouse factory. So Margaret got a job there. And uh, I got a job with the small mining contractor. Quite actually funny because it's very close to uh, San Barbara's Day in December. <laughs> that was good. Um, it was a small mining contractor, underground mining contractor. So I worked there for about a year. I'm just thinking about those moments before you left Poland. I mean, you essentially took a, a quiet trip to Vienna and then left from there. Did did your family know? How hard was that time? Some people never forgave us because we didn't tell anyone. My sister and her husband and the kids lived just one floor above us where the mine was. And uh, we were supposed to go to our cousins in northeast of Poland for, for holiday. So we said, are we leaving day earlier? I'll see you when we get there. But we, are, we only went to, uh, to the railway station and 
took the train to Vienna and only called them when we were in Vienna. So nobody knew. Mm. But the reason for that was that we, during that system, they would interrogate family. Why the family, somebody, no friends, they didn't dob us in. Mm. Because it was illegal. So my father was really pissed off. He wrote me such a nasty letter saying, I, I, I suppose he was concerned. He said, oh, you've got two little kids and you're living, you've got no idea, I've got no work, you don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. You had a good life here because we had a decent life. We earned both good money, with nice apartment, and the kids were happy. But we never thought anything would change in Poland in terms of uh, system for the next maybe 10, 15 years or 20 years. And as it happened, we went to Austria, we saw the first strikes in, in southern Poland. But it was then it was too late to go back. Um, that's how it happened. Leaving Poland for Austria and then on to Australia was clearly no easy feat. And I asked him what that was like. We applied for our passports again to go on holidays again to Algeria. So you went to, there was a train from Katowice to Vienna, direct train. And the thing was sort of a little bit scary because you crossed the border between Czechoslovakia those days and Austria. The, the guards was not very pleasant. They told you, told you to get out of the compartment and check the luggage. And obviously we had our diplomas in pockets and, and birth certificates, marriage certificates. And, had they found it, they would just send us back. <laughs> you know, because where are you going on holidays? Why do you need that stuff? It's funny, the guy walked in and he said, uh, there's a few people in the compartment, said to me, which uh, luggage do you want me to check? I said, I'll show him more. It was better. I had documents in my pocket in a jacket. I said, hardly they would do me personal search. So obviously he picked up the different bag and went. And funny thing, nasty thing, he said, he didn't ask us where we're going. He asked actually the kids. Yeah, girl was five, five Pasha was almost seven. Well, yeah, we're going to Auntie uh, Grace in Africa, in Algeria. He said, why are you, why are you going by train to Africa? Uh, because the last time we flew, we didn't, uh, we're scared of flying, blah, blah. That was the story we told them. So there was a bit of... Uh, Stress. We got to Vienna. We we sold a car. We had, so we got a thousand dollars for it, US. So we stay in Vienna. We got there on Saturday. So we stay in the hotel till till Monday morning. And Monday morning, you went to a place called Treiskirchen, which was the place where the migrants from different places used to go. And and we stayed uh, one night there. It was quite sort of almost scary experience because it was like like a prison in the sense that you had you went to for a meal you got the guards with with guns and escorting you there and they left uh, they took us to the room they opened a big room it was about, I don't know, about twenty banks a lot of people in the room that was. So we were a bit sort of worried. But the one guy said, no, don't worry about it. You'll be family. They're going to keep it for one night. And they organized something 
outside of Vienna for, 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 for families. And that's what happened. Next morning, they called us, they gave us my passport back. And <laughs> so it took us to that place was um, actually originally built, all building for uh, school kids' holidays. So we again, they opened, they opened the room, it was like the 20 beds. The, the guy said, no, don't worry about it, it's just for your family. So kids could sleep in different beds every night. <laughs> and it was just beautiful, beautiful part of, of Austria, very small little town. And then we went to, uh, we, they asked, where do you want to go? So we said to Australia. And they took us to Vienna, went there twice for interviews and Michal checked the doctor and x-rays and what have you. So how long were you in Vienna for before you moved to Australia? About a month, just, just only maybe five weeks. It was very quick. A lot of people who wanted to go to US or Canada, they had to wait like more than a year. So we were lucky. At that time, actually, there was extra staff in Australian embassy because they wanted to bring uh, uh, migrants from Europe, mm. mostly. They, they were, they, they were, I remember was one girl from Ethiopia, I think she was sleeping in bed next to two hours the first night and she was crying all night. Mm. <laughs> she was really scared, poor kid. And what about your daughters? How, at what point did they realise what was happening? Uh, we told them when we go to, to Austria, we told them we're not going to Auntie Grace. <laughs> we're going to Australia, kangaroos, platypus. So they were happy. That's a good way to frame it. <laughs> And what was going through your mind when you first got to Australia? What was the first impression you had? You know, I, I, I remember the Olympic Games in Melbourne. I was nine years old and was listening to the radio during the night. So the guy who was talking about the Olympic events, you know, he was very good between events. He was talking about Australia, about these funny things, and the kangaroos and platypine koalas and so it was always interested me to actually see it and then we decided to go there originally we thought maybe we go to actually originally we thought we go to us because my mother was born there and i could use her entitlement for a green card that was the system but we didn't want to go to us because um quite rightfully so i suppose because it was the propaganda how bad the us is and it, in the radio and television, Poland wouldn't hear anything good about the US. So let's go to Canada, because it's not a good mining country. A lot of mining happening there. But then we said, why would we want to go to another cold country? We lived in one way go for long winters. So we said, no, Australia. The, the weather seems to be a good draw card for Australia. <laughs> even, even today, I talk to my friends in, in Europe, they also they, they think Australia is paradise. <laughs> but mm, one yeah. can get used to it. So. Yeah. And so how hard or easy has it been for you working and living in Australia? Well, the first, first issue was the, um, the language because I never learned English. Margaret, I think she had some, at uni, some lessons. So she was the one go to the shop and order something. Um, but the lessons, the program was very good. So I got uh, my first job. It was a little employment office in the below it. And they, they sort of uh, got me with this guy who owned the company. And 
honest thing understood where his address where to go and uh, and I went there I dressed in a jacket and shirt and tie and couldn't find him he had, actually had an office in Lindonga when he got all these equipment so he got out in bloody uh, uh, singlet and shorts and just look at me like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> And he was talking, talking, I said, oh, nice guy. He's not, he is Welsh. And his accent was nothing like what I learned in, <laughs> at classes. Which he, I thought, he, he's such a nice guy. He telling me why he can't employ me. And then suddenly he said some, he talked about dollars. So I paid more, <laughs> paid more attention and actually he wrote something. And so I started. But it was a very job I was doing straight after uni, being just simple supervisor. It was quite heartbroken to tell him after a year. I said, sorry, David, I had decided to go. I was looking for jobs. I was looking for the adverts, and it was an advert for Bechtel in Melbourne. They were looking for senior mining engineer. So I went to interview, got a job, and kissed Sydney goodbye. With such determination and a clear vision of where he needed to go, I asked him about his influences. I like living in Poland uh, because my uh, mum's parents had a farm. So I spent my holidays playing on the farm, playing with horses and cows and what have you. It was good fun. Uh, I, I think from early in the PC. I've seen how people work how hard to work on a farm. You know, to, to, there was no holidays there. Get up when the sun gets up. And, and my father had a little painting business. So all school holidays, when I didn't go to the farm, I painted with him. So I was, wasn't very happy because my mates were going swimming or something. <laughs> I had to work. But he said, uh, my father was pretty sort of strict and said, I'm feeding you. Dressing you up, you just work. It's fair enough. I, I suppose that gave me the uh, the resilience. Mm. Also, when I we came to Australia, we were going to do west from from our side, from the east, and, and I thought every everybody's so smart, so clever, and and I was scared. What I do? What would I know? But actually, when you start working, I think you do know stuff. I had, I do, I must admit, the five, the five years in Bechtel was absolutely uh, critical for me because I've never worked in uh, design bureaus or, or never worked in open cards anyway. And most of the work we did was for the open cards. And I learned how to do proper feasibility studies and cost estimates and you know, design open cut pits, and it was was great. Without that, I probably wouldn't be mm. where I am today. And it was there someone specifically at Bechtel that that inspired you there? Oh, the guy, the, the, the Jim Jim Williams. Uh, he was my boss. He was very good. Cornish Jim was my boss for five years. And he would, we were Friday. We used to go to the pub, and he was shouting at me because I he couldn't understand me and. It was funny, but it was a good, good teacher. And how has your family played a part in your drive and success? Oh, you know, both of us worked in professional fields, so we didn't get in each other's ways. We understood if you went for a week for a trip or stayed long hours, 
whether she did or I did, nobody complained because we, we knew how it works. So Margaret did more housework because a lot of years I worked long hours. And she was cooking till kids were at school. She was cooking and she, kids left high school. She said, that's it, you cook. I'm a good, good cook, so. And I enjoy it. So I cook when my four grandkids come in. And so you're talking about this values of hard work and I'm sort of picking up a, a value of humility in in the the Polish cultural stories that you're telling. Are there any other values that you feel are inherently Polish? I like the Aussie spoken sort of with the humor. But generally Aussies are great. We had the best neighbors we could ever imagine. The first house we, we bought. Still, we're great friends and and good for good neighbors here. Now, I just love it here. So it seems like both in Poland and in Australia, this this mateship is really important. Maybe that's something we share. Yes, I, I think you know the mateship. Australian term mateship is great. It, it does exist, but in terms of I, I work, I worked underground in Poland. That that was real mateship. You wouldn't leave anything for the next shift with a bit of danger or something. It was quite unusual. I, I actually was was quite a bit surprised. I went first time underground my first job, and they had a smoker. Went to a little crib room underground, pie warmer, got a cup of tea. Was unheard of in Poland underground. Luxuries like that, have a break. My mates, we used to go underground a little train, so they ate uh, ate the sandwiches on the train to go to the face and to work till end. And it was, uh, it was much better. When you thought about the propaganda, we were taught about the capitalism, the capitalism uh, sucks blood of the workers. I said, where is it? I, I didn't see it. We actually, we were harder on our workers in Poland than, Maybe it was specifically the mining industry, but I don't think so. I've never seen any of this ugly head of capitalism here. And are there things that you've achieved in Australia that you don't think would have been possible in Poland? First, to uh, sort of progress or be promoted in the, in the government organization, you had to be dedicated to the party. So it was never my cup of tea. I was indoctrinated from from young age. And one of the reasons my father in 1939, when he war broke, he was on eastern border of Poland and the the Russians, uh, uh, the Bolsheviks attacked Poland from, from the east and divided Poland with Hitler in 39. So, so I never trusted them. There was one reason. And the other reason, they retired most of people who worked in the management in, in mines in the 55, people who worked underground. So my brother-in-law in Poland, he's miserable because he retired in 55, young man, and he did nothing. He was sitting there and complaining about things. So I would be probably really disgruntled old father, I would say, but complaining with my brother-in-law in the same place. <laughs> And so now, in terms of nationality, do you feel Polish or Australian? Well, I landed in Warsaw. I'm, I'm Polish as it can be. <laughs> but um, I'm here. It's hard. You, you can't, it, it's not black and white. You see, it's quite funny watching the sport events. I've been to one volleyball game 
was World Championship in, in Poland, and Poland played against Australia in volleyball. So actually, I was quite relaxed because I couldn't lose. <laughs> so quite funny. But I still like, you know, they watch the Tour de France Olympics, so they look for the, the Aussies there, but also the is there winning, and I'm happy too. It's very hard to, you always had something. I left yeah. Poland, I was 33, so you grew up. Like our kids, Basha is probably the older one, she's quite Aussie. Anya, the younger one, she speaks better Polish now than the, the other sister. Do you speak Polish with them? Yeah, we speak Polish at home. Nice. The only reason that the kids do, I refuse to speak English with them. Somebody gave me the advice, who were still in Sydney. And so if you look back over your life now, what's been the highlight so far? It is very hard. If you live that long and work, that it's not one particular. There's a few really special moments. I chronologically, I'm working for Bechtel, I went to uh, Papua New Guinea. There was a coal, big coal mine, Oktedi. To me, it was the first, you know, the big jungle and different things. But it was like, to me, it was like you walk open the National Geographic and walk into those pages. You see those people sort of semi-naked, chasing the birds and just different, different world. They're going to, uh, uh, going back 2,000 years or more. But because I had a driver, he was a very sweet guy. He spoke good English. He had, I think, three or four wives. He used to go there. On a on a break, they're all different. You must have seen a lot of the world then from your jobs. I, I travel quite a bit with work, but only thing is, if like when I was in China and, and both about six months in Papua New Guinea, you could see something else. But generally, if you go to travel and go just for meetings and you know the airports, hotels, and some restaurants, and but I always try to to uh, see something else. Then when the first ship left uh, Dampier, we went to China with the INO from my joint venture. We went there and there was a big ceremony in the port and brass bands and a big banquet, a typical Chinese to do. It was something special. Another similar experience we had with Roy Hill started, the first ship from Roy Hill. We actually left the port, the berth on the ship came out through the channel out, out of uh, Port Headland for about 20 kilometers and the helicopter came and picked, plugged us up from there. It was just fantastic. Wow, that's incredible. Is that a tradition? Uh, not really. My boss came up with the idea. The Port Headland Port Authority guys didn't want to agree to it, but she's a very persisting person. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share with us today, Tad? One day, Gina came back from Singapore and she said, Tan, because our, our sort of system was before before the financial year and I sat with her, we list of people, we talk about salary increases and all that, bonuses. But she came, he said, Tan, time for bonuses. What about if I pay you for the membership of this French wine club? And it means you get a lot of access to top French wines and oh yeah I like the wine I wasn't really that sort of 
familiar with the French wines and the champagne maybe, but not the wines. And uh, we got those beautiful first growth wines, the Burgundy wines there. And being a member of that club is sort of, they organize visits to vineyards, to very exclusive sort of type of access. It's, you know, you go to uh, Chateau Margaux and Lafitte, it's a group like 20, 30 people. They make very lavish dinner and well, just fantastic. And you drink those wonderful wines and listen to the history of the vineyards. It's a totally different aspect. You sip the wine, you've been there, you've met the winemakers or even owners, mostly in Burgundy, you mean the owners. And just different aspects. It's my other hidden sort of hobby. Thank you so much, Tad. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. You're very welcome. For more information on this project, go to pabf.com.au. This podcast was brought to you by the Polish Embassy in Australia, Polish Investment and Trade Agency, Polaron, the Freedom and Democracy Foundation, English for Business, and SBS Radio. This was put together by Marchmade Collective.